As we look in uh, in the scriptures uh, for the title, Jesus the Door, I want to start in the, in the sixth chapter of Hebrews, uh, or sorry, in the eleventh chapter of Hebrews, in the sixth verse. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them which diligently seek Him. And uh, and so I'd like to use that as our backdrop today, because that's something that's not generally regarded nowadays as a necessity, that you would seek God for the salvation of your soul. Uh, it's largely viewed through this lens, and that is you present the gospel, you present the truth of the gospel, and then that person has to make a decision of if they agree with the gospel, and if they do agree with the gospel, then that is then that believing of the gospel saves their soul. And folks, I'm sorry... I just can't get down with that because there's too much scripture that goes against it. Uh, had a conversation this week um, with a with a gentleman, and uh, and and I had had a a face a, a YouTube link sent to me where a gentleman was describing repentance, and he said, "What is biblical repentance?" And uh, and I said, uh, so I said, "Well, let's see what this guy says." And so he his his scripture references were all over the place and incongruent with rational thought. And so he starts out in Matthew 12, 41, and, and he says, so here he uses Noah. Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry, he uses, uh, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment against this generation because they repented at the preaching of Noah. And so then he goes from there to the second chapter of the book of Noah to the last verse of the, of the book of, of the second chapter of the book of Noah. And, and he only uses this one verse and it says, and he saw their works. <laughs> And God repented of the evil that he had planned on doing to the Ninevites there. And he says, so he says, so salvation can't come by repentance because repentance is a work. I mean, this guy was making some mental hurdles that was just absolutely asinine. And so he says, but uh, he says, but so, so repentance can't come by uh, re, uh, salvation can't be by repentance because uh, repentance is a work. And so from there he jumps over to the church at Ephesus and he's like, oh, remember your first love and do the first works. Uh, and, you know, of course, we know that uh, Jesus had instructed uh, the church there at Ephesus and along with the, the five other churches in uh, Asia Minor to repent for uh, the places where they needed repentance. And, uh, and so anyway, so he's looking at this from all the wrong angles. And so I sent a message back and I said, this guy has left out all context and all nuance as it pertains to being saved. And so if you're here today and you're lost, God's desire is that you would be saved. It's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth and that all would be saved. That being said, Jesus is the only door that we have to enter in through that we might be saved. And, uh, and so I want to go to John chapter 10 now, using as the backdrop Hebrews 11:6. without faith it is impossible to please him. Well, how does faith come? Uh, how does faith come? And, and Hebrews uh, 11:6 tells us that, how, the, how you acquire faith. Because he that cometh to God must first believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so here, you see, this believing sometimes gets mixed up. 
Now let's look at this. Jesus says in the 10th chapter of John, uh, of the Gospel of John, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is, a, is the shepherd of the sheep. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. This parable Jesus spake unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So Jesus is the door by which we can, we enter into the sheepfold through. And Jesus says also that there's no other way that you can enter in. So he says it in this way. Uh, he says that if you climb up some other way, you'll be accounted as a thief and a robber. And you'll be dealt with as a thief and a robber uh, in such manner. Uh, and so, uh, and so we know that 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 Satan's always tried to climb back up, right? He's always tried to get back in, uh, and he's tried to do it through thievery and robbery. Uh, but uh, but he's never going to enter in through the door. He's never going to enter in through Jesus because he's Jesus's adversary. And so we look at this, and, and, and so if we're going to say we're going to be saved, if we're going to say we're going to become a member of the flock of God, then Jesus is the only way that we're going to enter into it. Uh, Luke put it this way in the 13th chapter of Luke, uh, and, and, and starting in the 23rd verse, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto, him, unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Uh, and that's the narrow gate. For many, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Why won't they be able to enter in? Because broad and easy is the road that leads unto death. Uh, there's an old hymn that, uh, that, uh, that, that's the title of it. Broad is the robe which leadeth unto death, but the road that enters, that, that ends in life, it, it is a straight, uh, gate. It is a narrow way and it ends at a straight gate, uh, and that you can only go in, uh, if you're upright. Uh, and so here, uh, he, uh, he says here once again, uh, strive to enter in at the straight gate. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's an effort. It's something that you do. Uh, and so I want to touch on the, we'll touch on repentance here, uh, in just, in just a minute. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, Jesus says this, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you, sh and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Right, uh, and so Jesus there talking about when, whenever you're, uh, whenever you're uh, uh, seeking something, whenever there's a need, right? He says, "Ask and it shall be given. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock, and you shall answer. Or knock and it shall be opened unto you." See, he's he is the he is the door. And, uh, and so when we, when we oftentimes read about, and you'll hear this used a lot in, in, uh, in sermons where people will use, uh, 
uh, they will use the, the church of Laodicea in Revelations chapter 3 because in that, uh, in that uh, scripture there, uh, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open unto me, then I will come in and sup with him. But that's, that letter is written to a church, uh, and, uh, and Jesus is trying to get back, on the in, uh, back in his church because they've, 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 they've seemed fairly well to do without him. Uh, but Jesus has a desire that he be back in there. Um, and so that's not a salvation there. If you're wanting to be saved, Jesus is the door. Uh, and so you got to look at it that way. And Jesus says that if you want, uh, if that's what you want, then you've got to knock on the door for it. You've got you to seek him out. You've got to go and you've got to ask for it. You've got to seek him. Uh, and this is what a lot of Christianity today does not acknowledge. They just don't believe that you've got to seek the Lord for the salvation of your soul. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then he says this, what? He says, I'm the door. I'm the door for what? By which you enter in to the Father's presence. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. And so Jesus there again showing that he is the door. He's the way that we enter in. Uh, Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For through him we, uh, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Uh, and uh, so Jesus is the door by which we have access unto God. Backing up what Jesus said there about him being the way, the truth, and the life, that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is going to back up this the idea of Jesus being the door again and having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, He is the way that we enter in. We see this. Having an high priest over the house of God, verse 21, let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, meaning the Holy Spirit and in the application of the blood of Christ, which washes us whiter than snow. And so Jesus is the door. And so all of that is said to lay the groundwork for what we really want to touch on. And I want to go back over to the second chapter of the book of Jonah here this morning. And I want to touch on these things. Because when in the video that the guy had there, what he was saying was he, he, he ignored everything that happened before. He goes down here. He goes down here to the end. And, uh, and he says that... Uh, uh, where it says, let me find here where it says that God saw their works. Um, oh, I don't know why I, ch I chose the uh, the wrong book there. Hang on just a second. Jonah chapter two. I was like, why am I not? Why is there that many verses in this in this chapter? And uh, and so uh, we go over here and we look. And uh, and here's Jonah talking to God. And uh, I'm sorry, we're going to go to Jonah, cha Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. I misspoke. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. This is where he said God saw their works. Everything that came before that, he dismissed. 
And, and I said, how can, you, how can you say that this guy's teaching the truth on how to be saved? How can you say he's preaching biblical repentance when he glosses over the fact that the whole reason why the men of Nineveh, the whole reason why the men of Nineveh will rise in judgment against the men of Judah in the day of Christ is because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But when you, when you listen to their explanation, uh, they will go here. Uh, he, like I said, he says, and God saw their works, and this is where he started. He ignored everything. He said, if th- this is to quote him, he said, if you read before this, uh, they did some stuff. Uh, now, you may be here this morning, and you may be lost, and you may not know the Lord Jesus Christ in the free pardon and forgiveness of sin. You may not know Jesus as your personal Savior. The thing that I would like to put before you here this morning is that the the salvation of the Lord is a absolutely a no so form of salvation. It is a uh, uh, it is a form of salvation where it's not a I think I'm saved. Uh, I've read it and I think I'm saved. It is a I know beyond the shadow of a doubt I'm saved because I had an experience with the Lord. They want to try to talk about experimental knowledge, but they want to leave out the experience because experimental knowledge is experiential. Uh, It is an experience that you exhibit or that you have with the Lord God Almighty. And and so we look at the men of Nineveh in the day of Jonah, uh, and it says uh, that they heard Jonah's message. uh, And I said, here's the problem that you have. You're reading in verse 5, where it says so the people believed God but you're not acknowledging the message that Jonah preached to them which was yet 40 days and Nineveh shall fall and so here you have an instance where you're having everything taken out of context and so what did the people of Nineveh do? They proclaimed a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the to the least of them and the even the king did it and the word came to the king of Nineveh, verse 6, and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and he covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Now, when they would put on sackcloth and sat in ashes, that was an outward manifestation That was an outward manifestation of what they were experiencing inwardly. Because what did Jonah preach? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall fall. He said, you've got 40 days left and then the judgment of God, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on you. And unless you seek God for forgiveness, you will be destroyed. And that's what most people nowadays do not acknowledge. That you've got to seek God for the forgiveness of your sins just the same way that they did in Nineveh that day uh, and that if you don't do that that if you don't get under conviction of the Holy Spirit uh, and, uh, and and that that conviction breed about a place of contrition where you can with uh, an honest heart confess your sins to God uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and ask Him for mercy and forgiveness. See, they want to look at this verse where it says and he saw their works and I said the works that they saw that God saw wasn't them proclaiming a fast and putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes I said that's not the works that God paid 
attention to. I said because God doesn't judge man based on the outward. God judges man based on the inward. I said the rending that took place in Nineveh at the preaching of Jonah was a rending of the heart and not of the garments. They were torn all to pieces, and and this is this is shown forth. They didn't know if they were going to get be forgiven or not. Uh, and if you're here today and you're lost, you've got to understand that you have got to come to God, and you have got to recognize first and foremost that whatever your sins may be, uh, however however grotesque they may be, uh, they are offensive in the sight of God and they have offended God and and you have got to seek God's forgiveness uh, when you have offended him uh, and that does still go to uh, that does still stay in force after we're saved uh, when we do something that's offensive to God God would expect his children to ask him to forgive them, to acknowledge that they did it, to acknowledge the wrongness of it, and to ask him for forgiveness. If we do it any other way, it's not real. God didn't create robots. He created man. He created man, and man through sin created in himself a stony heart. That's why Ezekiel prophesied that in the day of the new covenant, right, in the day of the Lord... The Lord would perform a heart transplant and He would carve out the stony heart and He would give them a heart of flesh that they could feel with. Um, you've got to be able to feel the Lord. And I'll ask you here this morning, can you feel the Lord? If you're here today and you're lost, can you feel the Lord? Can you feel the Holy Spirit dealing with you and dealing with your sin? There in Nineveh, they weren't sure if God would forgive them or not. The very, the very, the very last verse before that tenth verse, the the men of Nineveh express their doubt. They, they're, they're in a position uh, of being in contrition and they say, well, we don't know uh, if God's going to forgive us or not. But we're going to seek His forgiveness. We're going to seek His forgiveness. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not? You better understand something. That that question that the men of Nineveh asked themselves, you better get to a place where that's the question that you have to ask yourself. Will God turn and repent away from His fierce anger that I perish not? 
That's, that's where you've got to get to. Now, that's where everybody has to get to. I can remember uh, when I was seeking the Lord for the salvation of my soul, uh, I had prayed and I would prayed and I'd done everything that I could think of, that I could do, but it wasn't until I got to a place where I said, Lord, I don't know if I can do it or not, and I, and I let go. Right, look at this. Now, they said, we don't have the power to do this thing. Who can tell if God will turn away from his fierce anger because God's the one that has to forgive, isn't it? I I just can't get down with this fundamentalist view that you don't have to seek the Lord for the salvation of your soul. I don't believe it to be scriptural because the only way you can make that wash is you have to ignore the condition of man. You have to ignore the heart of man. And, and this is the problem that they believe that the, the that, that it's just a, a problem of the mind, right? And there is the, the spirit of the mind, but they believe it's the, in the mind and not in the heart. Uh, but God, the salvation of the Lord is in the heart and not in the mind. The carnal mind is an enmity against God. It can't be so. And so the, the works that God saw, They didn't do anything to merit forgiveness. And if you're here today and you think you're going to work your way into heaven, you're not. But what people don't recognize is, yes, by by grace are you saved through faith, Baptist bread and butter, Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, right? Uh, And and, and by grace are you saved through faith. But, folks, the the workings of grace is forgiveness and mercy, (laughs) When God forgives and God bestows mercy, He saves you by grace. He he works the work of grace or the grace of faith in the hearts of men, not in a carnal mind. Not in a carnal mind. I, secondarily, I want, to, I want to touch on this and I want to close with this. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus uh, answering to the uh, answer to the Jews there. Uh, and uh, actually speaking to the disciples, I guess. And, and um, not, not I guess. He's speaking to the disciples here. And he tells them the signs of the time of his coming. Uh, and he says, But as in the days of Noah uh, were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And he, and he continues on. For in the days, and for, in, for, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. Hang on. Let's rephrase this so that we can understand it. They were drunken and gluttonous. Because eating and drinking, it doesn't mean that they're just sitting down and eating a normal meal. No, they were they were feasting and they were in a state of celebration even though they were in a state where they were absolutely abhorrent in the sight of God and they were enemies to God. They were eating and drinking. They were drunken and gluttonous. Or gluttonous and drunken as in the same word. Marrying and giving in marriage. That doesn't mean they were standing before the preacher and exchanging vows and getting married in a normal sense. That means they were very laissez-faire in terms of their sexual morality. 
it, it's a lot like today. <laughs> they were marrying and given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark. You know what happened the day that Noah entered into the ark? God closed the door, didn't he? God closed the door. That door on that ark is just as much the door. You might as well say that door was Jesus Christ because Noah and his family entered in through that door. When that door was shut, they were saved. They were secure from the flood that was coming about. They were baptized as the water fell down over top of the ark. That's the real picture of... of, uh, Eight people being saved as so by water and Peter paints right there. They were saved when the door of the ark was closed because God closed it. And and you may be here today and you may be saying, well, that has no bearing on me. Well, Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And that means that as that number one, that the characteristics of that day apply. And secondarily, the door that's open right now unto you. That door which is Jesus Christ, which is open to you, will one day be closed. And when that day is when that day occurs, when that door is closed, when it's no more set no longer accessible, when it's no longer accessible, it's too late. You will be just like those antediluvians when the rain started falling and the reality of the situation hit them that the things that Noah had been preaching for 120 years were true and they started beating and banging on that ark trying to get in. I I, I cannot doubt for a moment that there were people desperate to get in that ark but when God closes the door, you are opening it. And so you may be here today and you may not be saved. You may not know the Lord as you're, as you're in the free pardon forgiveness of sin. Jesus died and hung on the cross that all would be saved. And all means all. He died for the sins of the whole world. Uh, you may be hearing this today and, and you may be saying, well, maybe not my sins. Well, folks, Jesus died for the sins of the world. And He is the only way that we have access to the Father. If you're going to be saved, it's going to be through Him. You've got to seek the forgiveness of your sins through Him. Why? Because He paid the penalty for your sin. His death on the cross was a vicarious sacrifice. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for everybody who would believe who would seek Him for the salvation, that would believe that He is, and then diligently seek Him, just like the Ninevites did, for forgiveness and mercy. That's what we need. By rights, by nature, the wrath of God abides on our head, but by grace, God says, I, I've made a way whereby you can miss out on that wrath. That's our message this morning. If there's anybody here that's that doesn't know the Lord, if the Holy if the if you feel the, the Lord 
dealing with your heart, today is the day that you need to seek him for the salvation of your soul. While we stand and sing, Brother, Brother Williams. <laughs>